Welcome to another episode of Men's Bible Study. Dr. Justin Hillhouse joins us again to continue our series, Staying True, a walk through the book of Daniel. If you have your copy of God's Word today, please open up to Daniel chapter 3, as we'll be taking a look at those who quench the fury of the flames. Now, let's hear from Dr. Hillhouse. Y'all give it up for Sloan's having to do news you can use. That's tough, isn't it? Huh? Give it up for that guy. Yeah. Oh, that was kind of weak, wasn't it? You had like one clap. That's all right. Hey, if you have your copy of God's Word, open it up, turn it on. We are in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, and we've been making our way through this book, and our theme or the series that we're in is simply called Staying True, and we're looking at the walk and the life of Daniel and his friends. And if you were with us from the very beginning, John Mark kicked it off uh, just simply by going through Daniel 1 and talking about kind of their... their um, uh, them being moved out of the city of Jerusalem and all of the, uh, the, the leadership there from the Jewish community there in Jerusalem were taken to Babylon. The best and the brightest were brought into the king's court, and that included Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then we see <clears throat> in Daniel chapter 2, uh, we see that him and his friends um, are are there together and uh, they go through different trials and tribulations there together uh, as the king has uh, a, a dream and it is up to Daniel and his friends uh, to pray to God and to go to God and uh, to plead for God's mercy, if you remember, to say, hey God, please just have mercy on us. And and God showed them mercy, gave Daniel the, the dream. Daniel interpreted the dream. And of course, Daniel was promoted. And when Daniel was promoted after he interpreted the dream, Daniel didn't forget about his friends. He also promoted his friends. And so his friends got to rise along with Daniel up into King Nebuchadnezzar's court. Now we're moving on into J Daniel chapter 3. And in Daniel chapter 3, this is where we kind of really begin to see Daniel begin to kind of be more talked about on his own. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being talked about uh on their own as well. And so we begin to kind of see a split in uh, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Not a split in their faith, not a split in their beliefs, not a split in staying true to God, but rather just where kind of the stories begin to split and Daniel is going to be talked about more. But this is kind of about the last we hear of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now they are mentioned later on in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11 in 32 through 34. And it says this in verse 32, it says, And what more shall I say? Uh, I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Japheth and David and Samuel and all the prophets who through faith conquered kingdom, kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. That's a re reference to to Daniel and quench the fury of the flames. That's going to be a reference to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And today in Daniel chapter 3, we're going to talk about them quenching the flames. It's a famous story. I'm sure a lot of you have heard it. You probably grew up. If you were in church and in Sunday school, you probably heard this story of lot. I'm sure you've heard it preached a lot as well. And so today, I just kind of want to look at this passage and hopefully draw out some stuff um, 
that maybe you haven't really thought about. And as I was studying this passage, it was really easy to kind of go back to some notes that I've used before. And, and so what I've tried to do is just look at this from a different light and a different angle. And in looking at this passage, and you know, looking at Daniel chapter 3, I see that there are five distinct thoughts that come from this story. And so let's kind of go through this and see. But if you're in Daniel chapter 3, Starting in verse 1, it says this, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide. It was set up in the plain of Dora in the province of Babylon. Now this statue, okay, from the very beginning, we see how large it is, okay? It's 60 cubits high, it's 6 cubits wide. From our perspective and in our measurement, that comes out to about, it's 90 feet high. So about nine stories high, and then it is nine feet wide. So nine feet wide, 90 feet are about nine stories high. And the statue described in Daniel chapter 3 is assumed to be in human form. And this assumption is uh, probably correct. In addition to that, uh, there is a thought that it could have been in the made in the image of King Nebuchadnezzar or more than likely the image of Nebuchadnezzar's God, the God that Nebuchadnezzar uh, primarily worshipped. And if you see there, it says it is an image made in gold. Now, we don't know if this was solid gold. As a matter of fact, the 5th century B.C. historian Herodotus, uh, he was convinced that this statue was solid gold, but more than likely this statue was plated in gold. It was gold plated. Now, if you remember in Daniel chapter two, Daniel interpreted a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. And the dream was, is that there was a statue whose head was gold, whose uh, body was uh, uh, silver, his legs, um, you know, a, a bronze feet, iron and stuff like that. The rock was carved out and kind of came tumbling down. But in the head of gold represented King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And he, his kingdom was the greatest kingdom. So there is a thought that not long after Daniel interpreted this dream in Daniel chapter two, next thing you know, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's thinking, man, he's, he's it. He is the stuff. And because he's so cool and because his kingdom is the greatest and is the best and that every other kingdom that comes after him is lesser than his, that he's going to build a statue basically to celebrate. And so here we have him building this statue, nine feet wide, 90 feet tall, gold plated. And then look at what it says here in verse two. Then he summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates. He brought everybody. The whole government, the whole government was told to come. And the officials to come to the dedication of an image he had set up. So the government, just to kind of save you from all the listing of everybody. So all the government officials, they assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before it. Verse 4, then... The herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, uh, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, 
You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whatever, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a burning furnace, a blazing furnace. Here's kind of our first thought, guys, is that new gods will always arise. If you thought about this, new gods will always arise. If you look there in verse 2, it says this, He summoned all the government officials to come and to dedicate the image he had set up. King Nebuchadnezzar built this huge statue, and now he wants everyone to be a part of his new religion. He wants everyone to kind of become invested in what he is passionate about. And let's be honest, King Nebuchadnezzar is passionate about King Nebuchadnezzar, right? And for you guys, are you not passionate about you? Are you not your number one fan, right? Are you not? <laughs> yeah, you're. I am. I remember one time Bo was making an announcement and he said, uh, uh, he announced my name and I hollered. I went, woo! And I was the only one that hollered. And my wife is sitting right there. I'm like, what's going on, babe? And uh, afterwards, he, he came back. He goes, hey, Justin, there was actually somebody that yelled for you in service. And I go, yeah, that was me. <laughs> and he goes, you're an idiot. <laughs> in true Bo, Bo fashion. And, uh, and I just simply replied, hey, I'm a fan of myself. I'm a fan of myself. And you have King Nebuchadnezzar. He builds this image. He builds this King Nebuchadnezzar is a fan of what he is about. And so not only is he a fan of, of who he is and what he's about, he wants everyone else to be a fan. And so he says, hey, I'm going to make everybody that answers me come and worship this statue. Now, there's several things you need to know about this statue. First of all, the statue is valuable because whether... It's Herodotus that believes it's pure gold or whether we think it is uh, gold-plated. It doesn't matter. It takes a lot of gold to cover 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. Does it not? It's expensive. Not only does it cost a lot of money just to plate the thing, but also you have to have the craftsmen. You have to have uh, the kilns. You have to have uh, the guys there to be able to put it all together. So this image costs a lot of money to make. Just in manpower and building it, it took time. And then you got to plate it in gold. This thing is valuable. And not only that, but this idol took time as well. So it's valuable and it took time. It took time to build. It took time for the king to send out the message to get everybody there. And get this, everyone has to be there now to worship this idol. So now this is not only King Nebuchadnezzar's thing. King Nebuchadnezzar is making this everybody's thing. Everybody has to participate. And guys, there are always new gods coming along in our world. There's always something new for us to worship. In the 1960s, there was the God of communitarianism, okay? Communitarianism. And you say, what is that? That is, that is the God of just, if you remember the 60s, I wasn't born then. Some of you, you were around then. 
But that was, you know, free love. And hey, everybody, come on over here. If it feels good, do it. You know, hey, it's okay. Everybody just get along. Remember that? Everybody just kind of get along. Free love. Then in the 1970s, there was the God of individualism. It was Tom Wolfe, the author, who referred it, uh, who referred to the 70s as the me decade, where it became all about me. If you look in the 1980s, it was the God of excess. Everything was to be done, and when it was done, it was to be done in excess. You didn't just have one car, you had 20 cars. You just didn't have one nice car, you had nice 20 cars. You didn't just have a house, you have a big house. The 1980s was all about excess. In the 1990s and the 2000s, it was the God of communication. The God of communication. Everybody, what were we spending our money on? Remember the modems? Remember that? Remember dial-up? Y'all remember that? It's awesome. And then your little sister would get on the phone and you'd be like, dude, <laughs> you knocked me offline. But guess what? It was the God of communication because the internet began to come around. We began to get email computers and personal computers really became the fashion. If you had a personal computer, if you had the internet and then jump forward there into 2007 when the first iPhone came out, y'all remember that? Oh yeah. All of a sudden, communication became our God. But then you start moving into the 2010s, and it became the God of education and politics. If only we could teach our kids, and if only they were educated, then guess what they will know? Maybe politics can fix it. If we can just elect or vote the right person into office, then they could fix what's going on in the nation and in the world. Then in the late 2000s, 2010s, it was the environment. It was Mother Earth. That became our God. And we began to worship that. And now today, it is the God of acceptance. If you disagree, then you are shamed, you are canceled, you are blacklisted. You must accept and support. You must accept and support. You cannot disagree. And so today we worship, the world worships the God of acceptance. But not only are there gods that this world has for us, we also, men, we have our own new gods that we create all the time, don't we? There might be a new hobby, and all of a sudden that new hobby completely overtakes you. And that's all you think about, that's all you talk about, that's all you invest your money in. It could be work, it could be, I don't know what it is. But there is always something new that the world has to offer. There is always something new that is trying to take our time, our energy, and our money. There's always a new God. I like what D.L. Moody said. He said this, you don't have to go to a heathen land today to find a false God. America is full of them. Whatever you love more than God, is your idol. Whatever you love more than God is your idol. So not only are there gods, but there are individual gods that we also worship. And we worship them through our time, through our money, 
We even might cause others to worship them with us. And we become just like King Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> hey, kids, I want you to come do what I do. Honey, wife, spouse, girlfriend. Hey, I want you to come do what I do. Well, why? Because I enjoy it. Because it is about me. It becomes our idol. Boy, I like what Jeremiah says in chapter 7, verses 8 through 10. Behold, you are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. You steal, you murder, you commit adultery, swear falsely, and offer sacrifices to Baal, and walk after other gods that you have not known. You know, guys, there are gods out there that we don't even know yet. And they're coming. And we chase after them. We don't even know them yet. And then I love what verse 10 says. And then you come and you stand before me in my house, which is called by my name. And you say, we are delivered that you may do all these abominations. Man, isn't that funny? We chase after all these gods. I, I read that verse and I got convicted. Because you know what? There are times when I chase after all these gods and then I come in here to church. And I begin to worship. And all of a sudden, I might feel a little conflicted. What am I really worshiping? Who am I really worshiping? Am I worshiping me? Am I worshiping the God I want to worship? Or am I worshiping the God that truly deserves the honor, the glory, and the power? Yeah? And so there are always new gods. But then if you keep on reading, you see here in verse 7, Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of all the music, all the nations and the peoples of every language fell down and they worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. We had a few Karens in the crowd there, apparently. Verse 9, they said to the King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of all the music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the providence of Babylon. All right. So we see here there's a little there's a little contention here. Hey, there's some Jews that you set up over Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, so now they name names who pay no attention to you, Majesty. They never neither serve your gods nor worship the golden image, the image of gold you have set up. I want to just point out the second thought here, and that's simply this. Taking a stand will get you noticed. Taking a stand will get you noticed. Therefore, act more, talk less. Taking a stand will get you noticed. Act more, talk less. If you look there in verse 8, what does it say? At, this, at that time, some astrologers came forward and they denounced the Jews. Now, it's strange that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would be present here in this assembly. When likely they knew the very reason why they were being called together. Have you ever walked into the office and the boss walk out and be like, all right, everybody, come on, we're having a meeting. And as you're walking into the meeting with the others, you kind of look over and you go, I bet you I know what this is about. How many of y'all have been there, huh? Y'all been there? I, I bet I know what the boss is getting ready to talk about. King Nebuchadnezzar sent out invitations and said, hey, I want you all to come. More than likely, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego has been watching this image 
be built and go up. And so more than likely, they are getting ready to meet here on the plain of door. And while they're walking up, I'm sure Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego looked at each other and goes, I bet I know what this is about. I bet I know what is about to happen. Now notice here that Daniel is not even present. We don't know why. Uh, there are some that think that Daniel uh, was excused because he was away on the king's business. There are some think that Daniel was so high uh, and he was in such uh, the favor of King Nebuchadnezzar that nobody wanted to point him out and that he did stand. We, we don't know why. But the general thought is that D Daniel's not here. That's the general consensus. Is that Daniel was not present at the time. But if you notice here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they show up. They know probably what's going to happen, and yet they do not disobey the king. They obey the king, and they show up. They show up. Guys, sometimes there are times when we're required to be somewhere where we don't really want to be. And guys, we just got to show up. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're walking into this deal and they know probably things are not going to work out for us. Things are not going to be good, yet they still show up. They obeyed the king's orders as far as they could. But then notice when they showed up, they didn't raise a scene. When everyone was called to bow down, they just stood there. They remained standing. And this is such a great picture here. Because when you get a whole lot of leadership together, what happens, guys? Just what happens when a whole lot of leadership gets together? What happens? Huh? Corruption? Okay, yeah, that's not exactly what I was thinking, but yeah, I can go with that. They're trying to think how they can take out the CEO. What else? What else happens? Huh? Finger pointing. Finger pointing? Yeah. What are they trying to do? Right? They're trying to puff themselves up. Hey, look at what I'm doing. Hey, how good is your province doing? How much money did you rake in? Right? I hate getting together with other pastors. I'm telling this a huge secret here. But what happens when pastors get together? What do they do? They stand around. Some of them, they begin to brag. Well, we had this many in church. How many are you baptizing? That's, I hate those questions. You know? Because it's always, it's a good time to kind of puff yourself up and to try and make yourself look good. And so you get all this leadership together and you get all these dudes together. And so as they're coming together, what, well, how's your prophets doing? How much money are you making? Are you honoring the king like I'm honoring the king? So they begin, they're sitting there and they're talking. Shadrach, Meshach, and they're walking into this. And so everybody's thinking along the same lines. They're walking into this. Everybody bows down and they are left standing. They did not voice their disagreement. They did not sit there or stand there and try to tell everybody what they were doing was wrong. They just simply stood there and they said nothing. And men, there are times when we are called into meetings. There are times when we are called into things that we don't really want to be at. And at the end of the day, everyone else is bowing and we are called to bow. And instead of us getting on our knees and bowing to whatever the company or the world tells us to worship, we need to stand. And we don't need to say anything either. Keep your mouth shut. Just stand. 
Because trust me, you will be noticed. Every man there, every leader there is on their knees, on a plane. So to see three guys standing together, they are going to stick out like a sore thumb. And they stuck out quick. Because what happened? Guys ran to the king and they said, Hey, king, there are three guys that did not bow down. They stood. So guys, there are times when we just need to stand. We don't need to say anything. We just need to stand. And look at what it says in verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image I have set up? Look at what happens. Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, all the music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. I love this. Nebuchadnezzar kind of gives them an out. But if you do not worship, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Then look at this, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. What? Hey, listen, King Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to give you all another chance. I'm going to give you all another run up the hill. Strike up the band. Everybody get ready to bow. And guess what? Shagarak, Meshach, and Abednego said, we don't need to say anything. There's no need for us to explain our actions. What they are saying is, is that we are not going to bow. They didn't get in an argument. They didn't go into some great uh, speech about following God. They didn't give some great platitude. They just simply said, the actions that we take speak for themselves. We are not going to bow. Our God is a God of action. That's our God. Our God just, not, just does not tell us that he loves us. He shows us. He shows us through action. He saved the Israelites from bondage in Egypt through the plagues, through the parting of the Red Sea, through providing for them in the desert. Our God is a God of action. Look at what he did with uh, King Saul. Look at what he did with Dan, uh, King David. Look at what he's done already with Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God says that he loves us. God says that he cares for us. What did he do? He took action. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. Jesus says he loves you. What does he do? He moves into action. He saves us. Man, our God is not just a God of talk. Our God is a God of action. Standing when everyone else is bowing will get you noticed. I like... Uh, what 1 Peter 1.13 says, it says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. I like that. Prepare your minds for actions. Our faith is an active faith. Prepare your mind. It doesn't say prepare your minds to talk. Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 18, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Our actions speak way louder than our words. And guys, let me tell you what, there are a lot of people out there and they are just yip, 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 yip. They're like that little yappy dog. Y'all with, how many of y'all have a yappy dog at home? Y'all with me on that? Okay, nobody here has a yappy dog. Okay, okay, some of you are nodding, but you don't want to admit it. That's okay, all right? They just yip, 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 yip. All they do is just yip, yip, yip. That's all they do. Man, enough talking. Take a stand. Anyway, they say, hey, look, our actions, they're, they're going to speak for themselves, King. We don't need to defend our actions. And then look at this in verse 17. They say this, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And if he delivers, <clears throat> and if he delivers us from your majesty's hand, but even if he does not, we want you to know, Matt, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times harder, hotter than the usual and commanded uh, some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing the robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing service. The king's command was so urgent that the firm, and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Third thought is this, is don't make promises for God. Allow his plan to be worked out for his glory. Don't make promises for God. Look at what they say. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, our God is able to help us. But if we are thrown in the blazing furnace and we die, doesn't matter. We are still going to serve that God. And we will not bow down before your golden image. Which is kind of funny to say if you really think about it, because if they get thrown into the fiery furnace and they die, then they can't bow down, right? <laughs> but when you look here, they say, hey, look, whether God saves us or not, we are not going to bow down. God does not want us, or God does not always save us, from the impact of following him. Let me repeat that. God does not always save, at, save us from the impact of following him. And I don't want to use the word consequences because when we use the word consequences, there is a negative connotation with that. Even the, the, the beginning of that word for consequences, con, it means negative or bad. And so, I just want to point out here is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they say no matter what, whether we live or whether we die, it doesn't matter. The impact is, is that we are not going to bow and we are going to continue to worship God. Notice that their focus was not on whether they live or die. You notice that? Whether we live, whether we die, it doesn't matter. Where is their focus? We're going to continue to worship and honor God. That's where their focus is. And for us as guys, too many times we worry about the consequences. What is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thinking about? They're thinking about the impact. Hey, listen, if we live, God gets the glory. 
And all of a sudden, people are going to start asking, what kind of God do you serve? If we die, doesn't matter. Guess what? We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to worry about it. You know, when we read in Scripture, we see all the time that there are times when men have given their lives for Christ. And then we also see where there are times where God has saved men that follow Jesus. We don't know what God's plan for you is. Whether you live or whether you die, men, God makes his own decisions about your life and about my life. What we are called to do is we are just simply called to honor God in everything that we do. And we let that impact live on in somebody else's life. Because I guarantee you, if these guys get thrown into to the, to the fiery furnace and, and they die, there's going to be some guys that look around and go, man, these guys went all the way. They went all the way. If they live, guess what? People are going to look at them and go, man, what kind of God do they serve? Either way, God gets the glory. Men, stop worrying about the consequences and start thinking about the, start thinking about the impact and the glory that you are going to give God when you choose to take a stand. The consequences don't really matter. Man, God just wants us to honor Him. I like what Romans 14, 8 and 9 says. It says, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Guess what? It doesn't matter. Whether we live or whether we die, it is for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I love that verse. Just, just simply because, hey, it doesn't matter whether I live or whether I die. Guess what? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know. Hey, look, if we live, we're still going to give glory to God. If we die, guess what? We don't have to worry about you, King Nebuchadnezzar, anymore. Have you ever been in that position in your job where there's an opportunity to <clears throat> honor and glorify God, but you know that there's probably a price that's going to be paid? And then there's an opportunity just to go ahead and take a knee and be like everybody else. Man, stop worrying about the consequences and start thinking about the impact. Start thinking, hey, listen, I need, I need to begin to honor God. And whatever happens, happens. But to God, be the glory. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, simply put, they didn't have to defend their actions. They just said, hey, whatever happens, happens. It doesn't matter. We are not bowing. And then if you notice here, King Nebuchadnezzar, what does he do in 19, 20, 21, 22? What does, he, what does he do? He has the furnace heated seven times, commanded these guys to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, throw them in the furnace. And then you look there in verse 22. It says the king's command was so urgent that the guys that, that took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up, they died. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell in. And then in verse 24, you see this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly your master. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and ashamed. And the fourth looks like the son of gods. 
Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Nebuchadnezzar, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. Here's the fourth thought, is that following Jesus or following God allows us freedom, whether in life or in death. Think about this, okay? Verse 25, he says this, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire. And then look at what it says. Unbound and unharmed. If you have your copy of God's Word, I would circle that. Unbound and unharmed. Two things about this. First of all, number one, this is known as a Christophany. Okay? This is known as a Christophany. That fourth guy in there, we think that that is Jesus, okay, <laughs> before he came to earth. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. You can go and research it on your own, but we think that this is a Christophany. There are some that think it was an angel. Either way, King Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fire and he says, didn't we throw three dudes in there? And now there are four walking around. Here's what's fascinating is number one, whether they were in the fire, alive, or whether they were burned to death, they were going to be in the presence of God. Isn't that cool? Whether they were in the fire or they died, guess what? They were going to be in the presence of God. And then look at this secondly. It says they were bound, they were untied, they were unbound. The ropes that were holding them together, the ropes that had them tied up, interesting, were burned off. The shackles that were around them, that held them back, were burned off. Now, they were not touched, but the things that bound them burned off. And guys, there are some things that are binding us. There are some things that are holding us back. There might be a fire that you have to walk through that God says, I'm going to walk with you through it. And because we walk through this together and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to be right there by your side, you will feel and sense and see my presence. There are some things that are binding you that need to be burned off. You'll walk through untouched, but the things that are binding you, they will be burnt off. Jesus came to set us free. And I love it. Because we get this picture of these guys being thrown in this furnace, bound, helpless, can't do anything, completely bound by the world. They get thrown into the fire. Guess what? God shows up. Not only does God show up, but the things binding them are burned off. And they are unbound. And the king says, look, they're walking through the fire. And not only are they walking through the fire, they're not laying on the ground struggling. Their chains, their ropes, everything that we have bound them with has been burned off. Wow. And they are in the presence of God. Galatians 5.1 says this, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Man, keep standing firm. I love that. And this leads us to our fifth and final thought is that God takes care of those who follow him. God takes care of those who follow him. You say, Justin, this is kind of an easy point to, to kind of throw out there, but let's just be honest. 
If Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego died, guess what? They're in the presence of God. They don't have to worry about King Nebuchadnezzar anymore. They are in paradise. Life is good for them. It's okay. But guess what? God chooses to save his followers in this instant. And if you look here, God honors them. God honors their faith just for standing. Yes, they had to go through the fire. Yes, did they have to go through some hot times? Yes, they did. But when they came out, if you look here in verse 7, uh, 27, it says the satraps, prefects, all the government officials crowded around them. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor the hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched. And there was no small fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has uh, sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and def uh, defied the king's command and were willing to give their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Verse 29, Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language or who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces, their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for the, no other God can save in this way. I love this because remember at the very beginning of the story, there was a group of guys that came up and tattled on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember? Remember that? Can you imagine the king making this decree and they looking at each other and going, uh-oh, <laughs> we better keep our mouths shut from now on. I love this. The king says, you know what? Now, the Jewish people, the Jewish God, they're off limits. You cannot touch them. You cannot say anything bad about them. I don't want to hear it. And then look at what it says here in verse 30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. May God took care of those that remained faithful to him. Whether in death, they could be up in heaven. But here in life, what did God say? Hey, you followed me? You trusted me? You obeyed? You didn't make a big deal? All you did was you simply stood. You know what? You walked through the fire, but at, at the end, man, they got a promotion. <laughs> they got a promotion for defying the king. How in the world can that happen? Think about it. They got a promotion for defying the king because the king tried to become God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, oh no, there's only one God. There's only one God we will worship. Guys, I hope you have a great day. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. Thank you for the lesson of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God, I just ask that as each man goes to his uh, place of work or he goes home or wherever it is that he goes, God, I pray that he would take a stand Father, that words would be few, that when people look at each man here, that they would see a godly man, that they would see a man that's trying to obey you and honor you in everything that they do. God, I pray that as they go home, that God, it is, it is so easy to become lazy. So God, I pray that each man here would continue to take a stand, even in the home. Father, that they would be looked upon by their spouses, by their children, as somebody to, to model their lives after, to imitate God as we try to honor you in everything that we say and in everything that we do. God, we love you. We thank you for this day. And bring us back together, uh, whether it be Wednesday night or Sunday morning.
uh, to worship you. Make our hands productive in everything that we touch and say. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. amen. Y'all have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's Bible study. For more information regarding Cottonwood Creek, go to cottonwoodcreek.org. And we hope you tune in next time for more episodes of Men's Bible Study.